We're continuing our Building the Household of Faith series this morning in 2 Timothy. We'll be reading 2 Timothy from chapter 1, verse 15, to chapter 2, verse 13. This is God's word for us today. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. I practice that one. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The theme of that text that we read for today is endurance in the faith. Endurance in the faith. And we'll talk about that in four parts today. First, we'll talk a little bit about the reality that people walk away from the faith. People don't endure. And then we'll talk about how to find strength to endure. And then we'll talk about what endurance looks like. And finally, we'll talk about why, why in the world we would endure in following Jesus. We'll start by talking about people walking away from the faith. Our text opens with Paul saying that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted him. And that's where we're going to start today. And when Paul wrote this letter, a lot, and I mean a lot, of apparent believers had just walked away from the faith. Now this text doesn't tell us exactly why they did that, but we can make some pretty good guesses. For the whole time of the early church, for that whole era, believers had faced some level of opposition and persecution, but it was getting worse and worse. In AD 64, a large part of the city of Rome had burned down, and the emperor Nero had blamed Christians for that, and he'd also blamed Christians for a whole lot of other things. And so he was arresting and hurting and killing all the Christians he could get his hands on. So that was AD 64 in Rome. Now, we aren't quite sure when 2 Timothy was written, but the best guess is somewhere between the middle of AD 64 and 65 AD. 
right after the great fire had destroyed Rome, right when Nero was making things really, really unpleasant for Christians. And as you may have picked up, Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. Right when it was a terrible time to be a believer, Paul was a well-known teacher, he was a Christian leader, and he's in jail on death row. His career path was heading straight off a cliff. The gospel he was preaching was not bringing success. It was just bringing suffering for Paul and for everyone with him. And in the Roman world of that time, hanging out with a troublemaker was a great way to get in trouble yourself. If the authorities saw you hanging out with someone who they had in prison, they would think maybe you were an associate, maybe even an accomplice, and the Romans were into preemptive punishment. If they thought you were going to cause trouble, they would cause trouble for you. They'd skip the investigation and go straight to putting you in prison or just killing you off. So hanging out with Paul, hanging out with Paul was a really, really bad idea. It made good sense to abandon his cause. Walking away was the practical, sensible thing for everyone in Asia, in Rome, everywhere, for everyone to do. And some things never change. Sometimes for us today, walking away from the faith still seems like the practical, sensible thing to do. And that's what a lot of people are doing these days. In so many ways to people today, the Christian faith doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem doable. The Bible, the Christian story, God's will for our lives, for so many people, they just don't seem plausible anymore. And so people walk away. They desert the faith. They just take off. And I think maybe the biggest reason in our culture today that people walk away from the faith is that they don't believe it'll really make them happy. And today, the God that we serve, the real authority, the greatest good that we look to day to day is often our own personal happiness. If something makes us unhappy here and now, we think it must not be right. And if something makes us happy, we think it must be right. If it makes us happy, we'll do it. If it makes us unhappy, we'll walk away. And you can see how that plays out in regard to the faith. I think that a good retirement is the best thing for me. So I'll do whatever I'll take. I'll build my life around getting to that. I really, really want this relationship and this kind of relationship. And marriage, not marriage, commitment, no commitment, what genders are involved, who cares? This is what's going to make me happy And if the faith doesn't give me that, I'm going to walk away. You know, what really is the best thing is for my kids to get in the right school and have the right spouse and live in the right place. And if the faith can't provide that for me, I'll walk away. People walk away because they don't feel like the faith is going to make them happy right here and right now. And people want to be happy. And they'll build their lives on that, even if it means walking away from the Lord. Now, I suspect that that's where some of you are today. That if, if God doesn't work for you, you're willing to walk away. 
But I think for many of us, the bigger issue isn't so much that there's this other thing that we want and we're going to do that no matter what the cost. I think the bigger thing for many of us is that we're just overwhelmed. We just can't imagine doing anything more. And so we edge away from Jesus, not all at once, but bit by bit. We've got to get the kids to the next practice or the next event and on to school the next day. The work responsibilities just keep getting to be more and more and more. We have a hundred or a thousand emails we have to reply to. We've got bills to pay. We've got a mortgage to service. And bit by bit, all of these things pull us further and further away from really enduring in the faith and really making our faith central in our lives. There are all kinds of reasons to walk away. There are all kinds of things that pull us away. And it can be so hard, so hard to imagine having more energy to put into the faith. We often feel like our tanks are empty. We're overwhelmed, we're worn out, and it's so easy to just back off the faith a little bit. And so what can we do about that? We all want true happiness. We all want our lives to really matter. We all want to have more than what we have now. But what can we do about that? What can we do to really endure and to really thrive? Now, chapter 2 in this letter of 2 Timothy gives us some instructions that we need to answer those questions. And there's no big surprise there. To endure in the faith, faith, we need, first of all, to be strong in Christ Jesus. To endure in the faith, we need to be strengthened in Christ Jesus. Now, I have a little routine that I go through before we go on long car trips. I clean out our van. I get out all the old French fries and all the toys that have been forgotten and all the coffee cups. And it's sort of like archaeology sometimes in there, actually. But I do that. And then I check the tire pressure and I open up the hood and I check the oil level and the transmission fluid and the antifreeze and the brake fluid and all that stuff. And then often I throw a couple tools in the back and some jumper cables. And then we get all the bags packed up. We pack up the van. We get the whole family in. And then often, more often than I actually like to admit, as we're driving away, I look down at the gas gauge and I realize that the gas tank is almost empty. I have worked really hard to get us ready for this trip, and I think we're good to go, but we don't actually have any fuel. Certainly not enough fuel to get us to the destination. And sometimes in our lives, we work hard at all kinds of things. We do important things, but we forget what matters the most. We end up running after all kinds of other things and getting all kinds of other things in our lives in order but we end up running on empty. We do all these things and we still don't have the fuel that we need to endure in the faith. God knows this about us. God knows we don't have infinite resources and so God doesn't expect us to find the power within ourselves. Chapter 2, verse 1, as we read it this morning, reads, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And be strong sounds like something we have to do, right? Like we've got to really force ourselves to stand strong. But really what that verse should say, 
how that verse really should read is be continually strengthened. Not be strong in yourself, but be continually strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength for serving God doesn't come from us doing all these things and making sure we've got it right. Our strength for serving God comes from God himself. Our Christian lives run on the fuel of God's grace in Christ, not on our own efforts. Before anything else, this text is a call for us to receive Christ's grace. Be strong, be strengthened, says 2 Timothy, because God gives you strength in Christ Jesus. And verse 8 reminds us again of who Jesus is. And it tells us, remember Christ Jesus. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, descended from David. Now we could spend a whole sermon on just that verse, but let me pull out the two most important points. First of all, Jesus descended from David. Jesus, truly human, like us in all ways except for our sin. Jesus suffered like we do. He had only so much energy, only so much time. He knew what it was to be hounded and harassed. He knew what it was to be tempted. He knew what it was to choose enduring faithfulness over immediate gratification. Jesus knows our pain, our weakness, our struggles. But at the same time, Jesus overcame all of that, and he gives us the strength we need to overcome. When Jesus strengthens us, we find we have the power to endure in faith. So if you're tempted to just walk away from all of this, or if you're just feeling overwhelmed and as if you've just been shuffling away step by step by step, don't do this on your own. Don't just give up on it. Don't just dig deeper and say, I can do this. But instead, turn to Jesus again. And through Jesus' work, God gives us the strength we need to keep going. Second Timothy tells us to be strengthened in Jesus. But then it goes on and it tells us that we have a significant part to play here. Second Timothy goes on and it tells us to endure suffering for Jesus' sake. To endure for Jesus. God gives us the strength we need so that we can endure hardship. Verse 3 tells us to endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And this text doesn't say that if it's something we have to do every now and then, as if our lives are normally going to be good and easy, and just every now and then we got to work a little harder. That verse tells us to expect, to expect that our lives as Christians will be marked by suffering and hardship and the need to endure it. Now, I suspect for many of us, certainly for our culture, this is probably where we struggle with the faith the most. We expect to be able to solve our problems. We expect to have the cure for all diseases, to be able to fix everything. We expect to be happy and prosperous, and we expect that God will make that happen for us. And so when that doesn't happen, it's a tremendous challenge to our faith. And this, I think, is the reason 
or one of the root reasons that our culture doesn't get the Christian faith. I think this is one of the reasons that our culture cannot stand the Christian faith. Because it tells us that sometimes, sometimes we have to suffer. We think we have the right to happiness right here and right now. But that's not how life works. That's not how real life works for anybody. And it's certainly not how real life works for people who follow Jesus. We live in a broken world. Bad things happen all the time. And we serve a God who wants the best for us for all eternity. And sometimes the best thing for all eternity is not the nicest thing for right now. We all suffer because we're human beings and we live in this world. But following Jesus doesn't mean we're going to suffer less. It probably means we're going to have to endure more suffering and put up with more hardship. 2 Timothy gives us three metaphors for what it looks like to practice the endurance of the Christian faith. We're told to be like soldiers, like athletes, like farmers. And good soldiers, when they sign up, they expect to suffer. They see a goal and they pursue it. They have what one commentator calls a single-minded devotion to the cause, avoiding all other preoccupations. A soldier of Christ looks to the great good of God's coming kingdom and focuses on what has to be done to please Jesus. And someone who competes as an athlete puts in determined, disciplined effort for the long haul. Verse 5 says that an athlete doesn't win unless they compete according to the rules. And in many of the athletic competitions of that day, one of the rules was that before you could compete, you had to endure a 10-month training, a hard 10 months of training before you could even enter the games. Disciples of Christ have to exercise determination and discipline to reach the goal. And finally, there's that image of the hardworking farmer. And farmers, they work hard. My dad grew up in Pella, Iowa, and every now and then growing up, we'd visit some family or friends who lived on farms there. And those people worked. You know what? City kids would show up, and we'd get to take rides in the tractor, and we'd get to drive the four-wheeler or whatever else was around. And it was a ton of fun. But when harvest time came, there was no fun left. Or when planting time came, people had no time. There was one family we often visited who had a lot of kids my age, and those kids, as soon as they could reach the gas and the brake pedal on a semi, maybe nine years old, they were driving the truck in the field up and down so that they could have a bigger kid in a tractor so that they could get the grain or whatever they were planting in sooner. In that family, you worked and worked and worked and worked. Everybody worked for the harvest. So we're called to endure like soldiers with a single-minded focus on the cause. We're called to be determined and disciplined like athletes who work and work and work to compete. And we're called to endure like farmers who put in so much labor looking toward the coming harvest. Now, honestly, in our own context today, it can be kind of hard to see how that works. We aren't really persecuted. 
we aren't really in danger of being thrown in prison. We really aren't in danger of being executed for our faith here and now. Maybe those days are coming for us, maybe not. But in the last few decades, we've enjoyed exceptionally easy lives as Christians. But maybe it's time for us to recalibrate our expectations. Some of us probably are tempted to just walk away from the faith because we want something else more. I think most of us, maybe even all of us, are stretched too thin and we don't know how we could do anything more. But maybe we're running the wrong race. Maybe we're pointed toward the wrong goal. Maybe we're building our lives on the wrong things. When was the last time when you were making a major life decision that you asked yourself, how as part of this can I endure suffering for the sake of Jesus? How can I make this decision in a way that will maximize my laying down my life as Christ laid down his life? Has God been calling you to something more? Is God calling you to endure something? Actually, that's not the right question. The right question isn't whether God is doing this, but how God is doing this. How is God calling you to endure suffering for the sake of Jesus? Are you being called to be a broader witness in some way? Are you being called to engage with the needy in some deeper way? Are you being called to deeper service in the church or the world in some way? How are you being called to endure? Now, that doesn't sound like an encouraging question. This is not the sort of message that I just love delivering up here. But in Christ... In Christ, we have the strength to endure suffering. And then maybe we should ask, why do we endure suffering? What's the point? What's the goal? Why is this worthwhile? And the goal we look for, the thing that makes present suffering worthwhile, is that in the end we obtain salvation in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. In the end, we obtain salvation in Jesus We all want to be happy. We all want better lives in the here and now. And often that's a really, really good thing. But it's not necessarily the greatest thing. The greatest thing is to be with the Lord forever. And so we need to recalculate the things that we value. Often we're holding on to treasures that really aren't worth that much. A couple weeks ago, I spoke in a chapel over at Timothy Christian Schools, and I had my two older boys come up, and I loaded them down with stuff, with gift bags, with toys, with new clothes, with phones, with everything you can think of, until their hands were full. And then I said, and now, do you have any space to grab hold of Jesus? With your hands full of stuff, of presents, of phones, of clothes, of all this stuff, can you really grab hold of Jesus? And the answer at some point is no. If our hands are full of other treasures, we will not be able to grab hold of Jesus. Jesus is our true treasure. There are a lot of other things that we like. There are a lot of other good things in this world. There are many, many good things for us to hold on to. But if they get in the way of us holding on to the greatest things, then we need to let them go. Enduring suffering with Jesus 
still gives us the greatest treasure in the world. And if your greatest treasure isn't Jesus, if he is not the thing you are holding on to the most, then you're cheating yourself. If your greatest goal is not obtaining salvation in Jesus Christ, then you are losing out on the greatest thing. Living with Jesus is the greatest thing you could ever hope for. It's worth enduring suffering for. It's worth giving up everything else for. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together today. When we partake of this food, the Lord strengthens us for the journey. This spiritual meal gives us strength to follow Christ Jesus. And this meal is also a reminder that points us forward to the eternal celebration we'll have in Christ Jesus. When we have endured all things, we will sit down with Jesus and enjoy the greatest feast of all time. This bread and this wine this morning is just the smallest foretaste, just the tiniest appetizer to remind us of the great feast that Jesus has prepared for us. This is just what we need to strengthen us for today so that we can endure. This is just a small reminder of the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. The soldier in Christ's army gets the final victory. The athlete on Jesus' team gets the victor's crown. The farmer in Christ's field gets the great harvest. If we remember Jesus, we find the greatest treasure. If we endure with him, we'll reign with him. If we die with him, we'll also reign with him.